We had an excursus from 1 Kings last week due to communion, but if you remember the week previous to that, we were in chapter 16 and saw the downward spiral that was taking place in the nation of Israel. Things were getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And we commented about how it was difficult to see God at work. What was God doing? And we talked about the importance of connecting the dots, connecting the dots. So we asked the question, where is God in all of this? And this morning we see that God is at work behind the scenes and in a very powerful way is accomplishing his purpose and his will is going to be done. God is sovereign over the nation. God is sovereign over the individuals. And this morning we see that God is sovereign over all of creation. So God's purpose is going to be achieved. The theme of this morning's message is that God is providentially preparing Elijah for the work that God has given him to do. God is at work preparing Elijah by increasing Elijah's faith, bringing circumstances into his situation in order for him to understand that God's word is true, it's reliable, God is faithful, and works in ways that are unimaginable. God is going to accomplish his purpose. God is orchestrating situations, circumstances, in order to promote Elijah's confidence in God's word. In particular, God is readying Elijah for that which is yet to come. The issues that will take place on Mount Carmel and the opposition that he's going to face from Jezebel. God is at work. What is central to our passage this morning is God's word. God's word. And God's word is going to be accomplished. God's word is going to be fulfilled. First, I would like to demonstrate that God's word is indeed central to our, our passage. I want us, and I'm just going to do a brief survey uh, to connect the dots to, to show you the centrality of God's word. So if you look at verse 2 of chapter 17, we read, and the word of the Lord came to him. That's Elijah. The word of the Lord came to him. Then God gives instruction, verse 3. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook. So Elijah does what God tells him to do, verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. So notice the book ends. The word of the Lord came to him and he did according to the word of the Lord. Now... God's word to Elijah comes when the brook dries up, verse 7. And after a while the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Once again, the emphasis is on God's word. Then the word of the Lord came to him. God gives instruction, verse 9. Arise, go to Zarephath. Elijah follows the instruction, verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath in obedience to God's word. God's word to Elijah concerning the widow at Zarephath in verse 9. Arise, go to Zarephath, which 
belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath. Once at Zarephath, Elijah announces God's word to the woman at Zarephath, the widow. Verse 4, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Again, the emphasis is on the word. Verse 15, she obeys that word that comes from Elijah. And she went and did as Elijah said. God's word was fulfilled. Verse 16, the jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty. These words, according to the word of the Lord, just as God had said and spoken by Elijah. The emphasis is God's word, God's word, God's word, and it's being fulfilled, it's being accomplished. And God's word comes in connection with the death of the widow's son. And the conclusion of the matter is given to us in verse 24. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. She comes to understand God's word is true, and God's word is faithful. God's word is going to be accomplished. That's the big overarching thought. God's word is true. God's word is accomplished. God's word will come to pass. Now, having said all that, we now want to look at how we now want to look at the details and see how God is providentially at work building Elijah's confidence in the word of God and the power of God. We, we want to see what God is doing here and how he is cementing in the mind of Elijah how God's word can be trusted, how God's word is faithful. So we begin and now look at a little more detail. God's word to Elijah when he announced that there would be no rain, verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him. God gives instruction, verse 3. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So Elijah does what he's told in verse 5. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And Elijah experiences God's providence in keeping with God's word. Verse 6, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. So God's providential care of Elijah is demonstrated in two ways. First, he's being fed by these ravens. And secondly, he's drinking from the brook Cherith. This, I submit to you, was a very humbling and unpleasant experience for Elijah. It's quite remarkable to think of being fed by ravens. It's also quite repulsive. For ravens were scavengers. Ravens feed upon dead carcasses. And so that which God is providing him are not the delicacies that uh, we might enjoy. I talked about the way that I enjoyed the soup at uh, Olive Garden two weeks ago. 
That's what seemed, people seem to remember from the message. But uh, there was more to it than that. Uh, I can tell you, Elijah is not saying this was the best food I've ever eaten. This was a humbling experience, but incredible. Can you imagine ravens coming and feeding every morning and every night? The reason being that God had ordained it. God ordained it in verse 4. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. God had decreed it. It was going to come to pass. These ravens were going to feed Elijah. And then Elijah's faith is tried as the brook dries up, verse 6. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And now these words, and he drank from the brook. Now, time passes, and the brook slowly dries up, verse 7. And after a while, the brook dried up. After a while, the brook dried up. A brook is not like a water faucet. You know, with a water faucet, the water's flowing, then all of a sudden you just turn the handle and the water stops. That's not akin to a brook. It just doesn't flow one day and stop the next day. As there's drought in the land and as things are getting progressively worse and worse, Elijah could have sat there and watched the water level go down. He could see this creek that he's been drinking from each day is slowly drying up. And this creek that was now which once was flowing, is now trickling. And eventually, completely dries up. And so, Elijah has this experience that in some ways is quite contradictory. Each day, he can see God's incredible provision from eating the food that are given by ravens in the morning and food that's given by ravens at night and see the miraculous hand of God and in the same time see a brook that is slowly, slowly over time by natural means coming to an end and just driving, drying up. And so Elijah needs to have faith that God will continue to provide. Elijah has to reconcile those two very different circumstances in his life. Well, the time comes for Elijah to learn more lessons about God's provision and about the faithfulness of God's word. So God's word comes to Elijah again after the brook dries up, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. And God's word to Elijah is that God will provide for Elijah through a widow at Zarephath. Verse 9. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Now, this verse 
is of critical importance to understanding the text and this story. I, I can't overemphasize it. I can't say it too highly. It is absolutely essential that you grasp this verse. Look at verse 9. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. It is the interpretive key for all that follows, the lens through which this story needs to be understood. And it's important that we don't miss it. If you mark your Bible, I'd say put asterisks around this verse so that it will always stand out when you read this passage. And lest you think that I am making too much, look at verse 9. It says, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. And now the word behold. Behold. Whenever the word of God uses the word behold, it's something for which we need to stop, we need to reflect, we need to contemplate, we need to see, if you will, what God is telling us. Behold! Behold! These are the most important words in this text. Behold! Now, what is it that we're to behold? Note what God says to Elijah. End of verse 9. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, this is what you're to look at, this is what you contemplate, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Those words ought to be familiar. Those words ought to jump off the page. For look at verse 4. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now he says, I have commanded a widow to feed you. Connect the dots. If you mark your Bible, draw a line, make the connection. God is providing for Elijah through this widow in the exact same way that God provided for Elijah through the ravens. It's about God's provision, one through the ravens and now through the widow. And that understanding will affect the way that we look at this whole passage. God is sovereignly at work in the raven, so too God was sovereignly at work in the woman at Zarephath. I have commanded her. It's going to be the explanation for her actions. It's the explanation as to why she feeds Elijah. God is sovereignly superintending in the circumstances and events that are to follow. It is in light of God's sovereign decree that we must read and understand everything that comes after this. That is why we're told it up front. That's why these words are given to Elijah. It's the explanation for what comes next. Verse 9, I have commanded a woman there to feed you. For now, we're going to see the miracle of God at work in the widow of Zarephath. Verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there. Behold, Think about this. God prepared, there's the widow, just as he said, gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, 
bring me a little water in the vessel that I may drink. So Elijah makes a request of this woman. Verse 10, last statement. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. The widow is willing and ready to grant Elijah's request. In fact, she starts on her way to do just that. Verse 11, and as she was going to bring it, she's starting on her way. Bring me some water, okay? And she goes to get the water in the midst of this drought. And she is going to bring it. Then Elijah makes an additional request. Verse 11. As she was going to bring it to, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Her response. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I am nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. What a hopeless situation. I just don't have it. To which Elijah makes an even greater request. He, he seems so indifferent. He seems so uncaring. He seems so self-centered. He seems so demanding. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't fear, go and do what you have said, but first... But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. After you've fed me, then feed yourself. Don't worry, there'll be plenty for you. But feed me and there'll be enough for you. Verse 14, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Now, it's essential, it's critical that we don't marvel at the woman's face. This is not a story of the widow's face. We are not to marvel at her faith but we are to marvel at her obedience. Verse 15, and she went and did as Elijah said. Now, why does she do that? Why does she do what Elijah asked of her? Why in the world would this woman take the very last bit of substance she has doesn't even have enough for the next meal. She says, my son and I are going to eat of this and then we're going to die. Why does she feed the prophet and does his bidding without even feeding herself and her son? How can you explain that? The answer is verse 9. I have commanded a woman there to feed you. I have commanded a woman there to feed you. We are not to marvel at her, but we're to marvel at God. God put it in her heart. God so decreed, God so worked, God so moved, that 
she responds to the request of Elijah. And if you would have asked that woman, why are you feeding Elijah? She wouldn't have had a good answer. I don't know, I just feel like I should. I, 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 I just feel compelled. It's, it's something I need to do. And I don't even know why. It's critical for us to understand at this point, at this point in time, she has no more faith than the ravens do. You get that? She is no different than the ravens. God ordained, God or decreed, God commanded, and the ravens fed him. And I can tell you they didn't have faith. They didn't understand. They were compelled. They did it. So too with this woman. Now, look at the text, and we're going to look at the absence at this point of her faith. First, note that she refers to God as Elijah's God. Verse 12, and she said, as the Lord your God lives, not the Lord our God. She's not associating herself with the God of Israel. This is your God. As your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour. Secondly, Elijah refers to God as the God of Israel, not her God or the God even of the Sidonians, verse 14. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. She's not an Israelite. And he's declaring to her what the God of Israel says. Not her God. Not the God of the Sidonians. She is not an Israelite. She's a, of Zarephath, which the text points out to us, is a part of Sidon. Verse 9. Arise, go to Zarephath. And then it tells us this, which belongs to Sidon, so we don't miss it. Uh, so that we don't have to get out our geographical maps and look to where Zarephath is. It's a part of Sidon. And notice in verse 9, dwell there, that is in Sidon. Behold, I have commanded a woman there to lead you. There, there, where? Zarephath, which is in Sidon. Why is that significant? What's significant about Sidon? Well, this isn't the first time we've encountered Sidon. Probably didn't notice it. But back in chapter 16, when this evil king Ahab arises, and we found out that one of the reasons that he was the evil king that he was was because of the wife that he married, Jezebel, who was a worshiper of Baal, who was the daughter of Ethbaal, which means Baal lives. Let me read the verse, 1 Kings 16, 31. 
And as it had been a light thing for him, that's Ahab, to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabal, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and served Baal, and worshipped him. This woman lived the very heart of Baal worship. She was surrounded on all sides by those who worshipped and served Baal and could identify with Jezebel. And God can and does use this unbelieving woman in an ungodly place to accomplish his will. For God is sovereign. And what chapter 18 is all about is God is sovereign over all things. He's sovereign over Israel. He's sovereign over Sidon. He's sovereign over the world. He's sovereign over all creation. The ravens. serve him. All things are under his power and his control. God reigns, not Baal. So we look at what a strange place for God to send Elijah to be provided for and to be protected in the very place where you would think he'd be betrayed and turned over and handed over, the very place where they're going to be faithful to Jezebel as opposed to to God, but it's the whole point. It's the whole point. God is able to accomplish his purpose and his word. I will feed you there. I've commanded a widow to do so. Again, we're not to marvel at this woman and her faith. We're to marvel at God and how he works. These chain of events are literally that. They are a chain. They're linked. They're connected. See the dots. God achieving his purpose and his will, readying Elijah and the nation for all that they are facing. God can and does his, cause his purpose to be fulfilled. Having said all that, now God does bring this woman to faith through the death of her son. And one must read this event in that light. Here is God's gracious provision for both this woman and ultimately Elijah. Verse 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. She said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. 
And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. Verse 22, And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. The life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now, now, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. This is where she comes to faith. This is where the light goes on. This is where the understanding meets the practice. Now I know that you're a man of God and the word that you speak is truth. So how marvelous it is that God brings this woman to faith. One wonders why she did not believe prior to this. When one sees all that she has experienced, all that she's gone through, namely in seeing this jar of oil not being used up and to seeing the, the meal not coming to an end, we would scratch our head and say, well, why doesn't she believe at that point? What we're to understand is faith is a miracle. Faith is not a product of one's circumstances. This is a foreshadowing of what Elijah has to learn when he is in a cave and he finds out that God is not in the, the thunder, God is not in the lightning, God is not in these things. It's the still small voice. Here is God at work bringing this woman to faith. And it's a miracle no less than the meal not running out, and the oil not running out. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. For us to believe, we have to be spiritually made alive, just as her son had to be brought to life by the power of God. We are born again, born a second time. Any one of us here this morning, or each one of us here this morning, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, it's because God has providentially worked in our lives and brought us to faith. And to him be the glory. This is so important as we keep in mind the events on Mount Carmel. Wow, God brings this woman to faith. What God can do in a microcosm, he can do in a large scale. So now, all is not hopeless, all is not lost. As we think of Israel and how far it's gone and how hopeless things look, this God can do not only a, a work in bringing his people to repentance, he can even move over the Sidonians. 
He can even move over these worshipers of Baal. What God does in micro here, God is going to do in macro in the next chapter. You see, this is for Elijah's benefit as well. It was to build faith in Elijah as he offers prayer on the top of Mount Carmel. Look with me at 1 Kings 18.36. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your word, just as the woman came to know that what he said was true. Verse 37, answer me, O Lord, answer me. That this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And now notice this, and that you turn their hearts back. May these people know that you have graciously turned their hearts back to him. May they come to understand what you have done in your goodness and your mercy and your grace. And God answers his prayer just as God answered his prayer when he was praying for the widow's son. Well, what are the great takeaways? What are we to learn from this passage? Well, first and foremost, that God can and does bring his word to pass. That which he says he will do. And it's important for us to understand that in this fallen world, even the unbelievers are under God's command and authority. There is a limit to what God will allow. And there is an intervention, even in the lives of non-believers, that causes all the circumstances of life to work out to the welfare and benefit of the people of God. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are called according to his purpose. It's so easy to speak of God who is sovereign over all, and fail to realize that God is sovereign over all. All of his creation. Everything that he has made, he rules. That is why he's worthy of our worship. That's why it's so foolish to raise an arm of defiance against God. That's why the prophets of Baal will never succeed and why evil will never triumph. We know the end. The Lord will return, the Lord will reign, and every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Believe it, it's true. God's sovereign decree will come to pass. Secondly, we learn that God is the great multitasker. You heard the old adage, killing two birds with one stone. Well, here's just the opposite. 
You can accomplish many different things in the one set of circumstances. He's at work in the ravens. He's at work in Elijah. He's at work in the woman. He's at work in the woman's son. He is at work. And he's at work in the nation. Learn that our lives are intertwined. They're they're interrelated. All the events and circumstances of life are coming together under the sovereign working of God. We're no island. We are not independent of each other or this world. God is at work. We are not to be discouraged or faithless in difficult times, or nothing is too hard for the Lord. We're to see God at work when we cannot see him at work. We're to have eyes of faith. How do we know that God is at work? The Bible tells us he is. His word reveals it to us. Next, we praise the Lord for the faith that he gives us. We praise the Lord for the faith that he gives us. Do we praise the Lord not only for the faith, but also the means that produces that faith? You see, all these circumstances were intended to increase Elijah's faith and to bring this woman to faith and the nation to faith. And God uses many times difficulties, hardships, pain and suffering, things that are not real delightful, such as even eating food that is provided by a raven, but God is producing faith in us. So I ask you, even this morning, what is God doing in your life right now? What is it that you are anxious about? What is it that you are concerned about? What is it that you are questioning the goodness of God or the faithfulness of God? Learn that God is faithful and God will accomplish his purpose, his will. For there's nothing that is outside of his control. Nothing is bad luck. Or the evil one getting the upper hand. Next lesson. God supplies, and here's a big one, okay? Because it's so contrary to what most people think and even handle this passage. God supplies not so much because of our faith, but rather God supplies to build and enrich our faith. Let me say that again. God supplies not because of our faith, but God supplies to build and accomplish our faith. Think of another passage of Scripture, very appropriate for this one. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I say unto you, do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, are you not much of greater value than they? Look at the birds of the air. Look at the ravens. God provided for these ravens in the midst of a drought. 
God was watching over them, but he wasn't just watching over ravens. He was watching over Elijah at the same time. Again, God supplies not because of our faith, but God supplies in order to build our faith. Listen to this same passage in Matthew chapter 6. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? It doesn't say he will clothe you if you have faith. He says, O you of little faith, he'll clothe you. He'll watch over you. You belong to him. He will provide. Have faith. Not so that he'll provide. Have faith so that you are at peace. You are at rest. You are glorifying God and being an example to others. Have faith because God is faithful. God can be trusted. God puts us in situations for our faith to grow. He puts us in situations so that we know that God's word is true. And he puts us in situations to achieve his sovereign purpose and ultimately that good is going to conquer evil. God is coming again. God is establishing his kingdom. We are his own. We will be with him forever and ever and ever. This passage invites us to see God at work. Even at Israel's lowest point, God is at work. Don't marvel at the woman. Marvel at God. God was at work. God had commanded her. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to be people of faith. Help us to know that your word is true. Lord, we, we do believe it, we do know it, but we need that belief and that knowledge to increase, even as Elijah believes and knows, but we're going to see in the next couple of weeks how even Elijah's faith has to be increased and grown. Oh Lord, increase our faith. Help us to see you at work. Help us to see what you've done in the lives of others. Lord, in all of our and others' accomplishments, may we attribute it to you and to your grace, not as a reward for our faithfulness, or a product of our faith, but of your sovereign goodness, who so overrules our unbelief and our rebellious spirit
and our unwillingness to yield, that you do us good and that you overcome evil with righteousness. Lord, we invite, we plead for your sovereign direction in our lives. We, we welcome it. We thank you, O oh God, that you are the shepherd and we are the sheep of your pasture. Thank you for what you have done, will do in our lives, our friends, our enemies, this world. Thank you for being at work. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.